if you have a Bible, you can go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13, we'll be starting in verse 47 today. For the past several weeks, we've been looking at the parables that Jesus tells about the kingdom of heaven. And we've seen that this kingdom is greater than anything we can imagine. It is beyond a systematic explanation, and it's even beyond a single metaphor. And so Jesus gives us one picture after another, after another, after another, to try to illustrate the reality of this incredible kingdom of heaven. And so today we're going to look at another parable, another one of these pictures. But before we do, I want to ask you, have any of you ever played the game telephone? Right? You know, where one person whispers a phrase into someone's ear, and then they whisper and pass it down the line from one person to another to another, until finally the last person shares the phrase that they heard with the whole group, and undoubtedly it has become something totally different all through that process, right? You know, there's some pretty hilarious uh, results that can come from this. Now, there's a variation on this game that's called Telestrations, all right? And uh, it has a whole new layer to it because it also involves drawing pictures as well, all right? So, So here's how it works. Like telephone, you start with a word or a phrase, And then you draw a picture of that word or phrase. You pass that to the next person. And they look at the picture that you drew and they try to figure out what word or phrase it is that you drew. So they write down what they think it is and they pass that to the next person who then sees what they wrote down and tries to draw a picture of that, right? And so on it it goes between writing and drawing and writing and drawing until you get to the end. And I'm sure you can imagine that You know, with telephone, you get some crazy transformations. With telestrations, you get some pretty wild transformations that can occur along the way, right? You know, a a starry night becomes a day at the beach because they thought the star was a starfish, right? You know, or a skier becomes a yeti because it's some kind of thing in snow with big feet and long arms, Right? And so you can see some pretty crazy things happen in this game. There's a whole new layer of complexity when you add in pictures to the mix. And I think something like that has happened with the passage that we're reading today. Because here we're going to see another picture that Jesus gives us of the kingdom of heaven. But because of all the other stories and all the other pictures that have come to us, it is very easy to misunderstand the picture that Jesus gives and to miss out on the message that Jesus is communicating. And so let's read Matthew 13, beginning in verse 47. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and caught fish of every kind. And when it was full, they drew it ashore, sat down, and put the good into baskets and threw out the bad. And so it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out 
and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the furnace of fire where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the word of God for the people of God. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word that draws us into the story of your good news, that brings us into your kingdom. God, I pray that as we consider these words of your scriptures, that you would sharpen our minds and soften our hearts, that we might know you and love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So we've got fire and weeping and gnashing of teeth this morning. Any of you nervous? Anyone worried? Are you you nervous for me? I hope so, right? You know, you're wondering, is he talking about hell today? Is that that where we're going? Uh, And the answer is, is yeah. Uh, we're, We're talking about hell today. But first, I need to fix our pictures and clear up several centuries of theological telestrations that's been going on, all right? Because most of our ideas about this actually come from ancient Greek philosophy or medieval Italian poetry rather than scripture, all right? So first, the popular picture of spiritual reality that, that you have is, is you've got heaven with God and his angels, right? And then you have hell with Satan and his demons. And then somewhere in between there's earth with people and animals and stuff, right? And my guess is that this is more or less the image that you sort of carry around with you subconsciously. This is kind of the popular image that we have. And if this is the picture that's in your mind, when you hear this parable, you imagine that some people will be brought up to heaven, others will be cast down to hell, and then who knows what happens to earth, and everyone will either live in eternal bliss or torment. But here's the problem. This is not the picture of reality that we have in the Bible. This is not the picture that Scripture gives to us. This picture of heaven and hell has more to do with Platonic dualism than Holy Scripture. It has more in common with Dante's divine comedy than God's divine revelation. And so rather than heaven and hell as counterparts... What do we see in Scripture? Well, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? God created the heavens and the earth. And then once God finishes creating, it says God saw everything that he had made. And indeed, it was very good. So you have heaven and earth, and everything is very good. There is no hell in the picture yet. 
And see, from this grand introduction that we have to our scriptures, it is clear that hell has nothing to do with God's intention or desire for the world. But before we talk about hell, I want to say a little bit more about heaven and earth. Because though these two appear as counterparts in the story of creation, they are not entirely separate. Heaven and earth overlap and interlock with one another. In Genesis 2, you have this picture of God reaching down and sculpting a human out of the dirt of the earth. And then God breathes life into the body of that human. And at the end of the chapter, God performs some kind of hands-on surgical procedure when he removes a rib and forms it into the woman. And even in Genesis 3, you have God showing up and walking around in the garden in the cool of the day, right? And so God's original plan for creation was for heaven and earth to overlap, interlock, intersect, exist in harmony with one another. And hell is nowhere to be seen. So where does hell come from? Well, this is very much like the question that was asked a few parables earlier. If you guys were here for that, the wheat and the weeds, right? And and this parable has a very similar ending to the one that we've just read today. It's clear that they're meant to go together. But in that parable, someone asks, well, where did these weeds come from? And the answer is, well, an enemy has done this. An enemy has done this. And that's exactly what we see in the narrative. In Genesis 3, a crafty serpent figure appears. And it questions God. And it leads humanity to rebel against the one thing that God had asked. And the result is enmity, pain, conflict, and toil. And this is the first picture of hell that we see. It's not a fiery underworld, but rather a sort of infection that has gotten into the good heaven and earth that God created. So what exactly is hell? Well, it's open rebellion against God. It is an open rebellion against God. And that's exactly how Jesus describes it. He says, hell is made up of those who are weeping and gnashing their teeth. Now again, if your image of hell is a fiery underworld of punishment, then you interpret that phrase as a description of pain and suffering. It's out of agony that they weep and gnash their teeth. But again, the problem is that that is not what these words mean. That's not what these words mean. The Greek word here for gnashing teeth appears in the teachings of Jesus, but also one other place in the New Testament. It's at the end of Acts chapter 7, 
where we find Stephen, one of the disciples of the disciples, who has been arrested, and he gives this lengthy speech to the Jewish leaders. He tells the whole story of Israel, from Abraham to Moses to David, and his speech culminates in Jesus, the righteous one, who they rejected and killed, just like the prophets of old. And after his speech, it shows their response. In Acts chapter 7, verse 54, when they heard these things, they became enraged and ground their teeth at Stephen. And then they take him out and stone him to death. So they ground their teeth at him. This is the same root word in the Greek. You see, this word is not used to describe the pain that Stephen, who is being stoned, is going through. Rather, this word is used to describe the rage of the ones who are picking up the stones to throw them. And this phrase is also used throughout the Old Testament to describe the wicked who plot against the righteous and gnash their teeth at them. You see, when Jesus describes hell as a place where there is gnashing of teeth, he is not describing people writhing in pain, but rather people who are seething in rage, open rebellion against God. Hell is an open rebellion against God. It is the people who gnash their teeth at God and the things of God. And it becomes this infection that spreads through what was the good heavens and earth that God had made. But God is committed to setting things right. God is committed to restoring his original plan for heaven and earth. And this is what the story of Scripture is all about. We see the spreading of hell, yes, but we also see the relentless restoring work of God. And so let's just take a moment to consider that story. After Genesis 3, Scripture continues with one story of open rebellion after another, right? After Adam and Eve, you have Cain and Abel, and then you have the flood, and then the Tower of Babel, right? This is one rebellion story after another, after another. And each one of these is that story of rebellion, a story of the spreading of hell on earth. But God remains committed to his project of restoration. And so he calls Abraham, and he puts in motion a plan to bless all nations through him, to restore the world through him. And so God moves And he works through Abraham and Sarah. He works through Isaac and Rebekah. He works through Jacob and Leah and Rachel. 
And then through the story of Joseph, God delivers the people from famine into the prosperous land of Egypt. But hell is still on earth. And so the Israelites are enslaved by the Egyptians and forced into hard labor. But God doesn't give up. So he calls Moses and Miriam and Aaron to lead the people out of Egypt into freedom through many great signs and a miraculous parting of the sea the people are finally delivered into freedom but hell is still on earth and when the Israelites doubt God and look back to Egypt and rebel they're forced to wander in the wilderness for 40 years But God does eventually bring them into this promised land. And they settle into homes and they anoint a king, David, who is known as a man after God's own heart. And Israel thrives and flourishes the people of God in the land that God gave them. But hell is still on earth. And later kings would rebel against God, and so do the people. And so they are sent into exile in Assyria and Babylon. Do you see the pattern? Do you see the pattern of the story of Scripture? It's a story of rebellion and restoration, rebellion and restoration. And this is the story that the parable of the net and the fish speaks to. This is the story that Jesus is speaking into. When Jesus arrives on the scene, announcing the kingdom of heaven, the question that quickly arises is, well, is this going to be any different than all of the other attempts at restoration? You know, there was Abraham, but, well, we ended up in slavery. And there was Moses, but we ended up in the wilderness. And there was David, but we ended up in exile. How is this kingdom going to be any different? And to this, Jesus says, well, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and caught fish of every kind. And when it was full, they drew it ashore, sat down, put the good into baskets, and threw out the bad. This kingdom of heaven is a kingdom that will not only be of some kinds, but of every kind. It will not only be in part, it will be in full. This kingdom will culminate at the end of the age. And all things evil will finally be eradicated. This is the story that Jesus tells. But this kingdom will not only arrive at the end of the age, right? It's actually here already. That's what Jesus comes saying. The kingdom of heaven has come near. 
And so this, I think, is why Jesus goes around saying radical things like, you've heard it was said that you should not murder. But what I say is not to hate. You've heard it was said not to commit adultery. But I tell you not to lust. You've heard it was said to love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Do you see what's happening here? Jesus doesn't merely want to domesticate hell. He doesn't want to domesticate our sin. He wants to see it utterly destroyed. And this is why Jesus goes around healing people, proclaiming the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is leading a physical and spiritual assault on hell. He is disinfecting creation. And he is restoring it to what it is meant to be. And so how do we respond to this news that God is at work bringing restoration to the world? Well, I think there's at least two. And the first response is is personal, right? God is at work restoring the world. And I want you to hear this. You are a part of the world that God is restoring. You are a part of the world that God is restoring. So what are the ways that God can restore you? What are the ways that God can restore you? What are the sins that you need to repent of? What are the lies that you need to stop believing? What kinds of practices can you commit to that lead to restoration? Things like daily prayer and scripture reading. We're going deeper in community. Or intentionally serving others. You know, maybe it's reconsidering more deeply what it means for the kingdom of heaven to come in your life. Or maybe, as we'll see together a little bit later this morning, it's deciding to really turn and start following Jesus, taking the step of baptism, this picture of being buried in death and raised to new life, a picture of restoration. You are part of the world that God is restoring. What does that restoration look like? So that's one response, but there's more. You are not only part of the world that God is restoring. You are also one of the ways that God is restoring the world. He does not only restore the world in you, he restores the world through you. I think that the fishermen who Jesus called to be his disciples would have heard this story in a really unique way. Do you remember their story back in Matthew chapter 4? Jesus comes across Simon, Peter, and Andrew, who are in the midst 
of casting out their nets. And he calls to them, follow me, and I will make you fish for people, right? The traditional translation is they were fishermen, and Jesus says, you will now be fishers of men, right? And so they would have heard this parable about a net going into the sea as a call to action, to go and cast the net of the kingdom of heaven. And this net is one that catches every kind of fish. Fish of every kind. And so that means as we are called into action, we don't discriminate with sharing the gospel. We don't discriminate with the kingdom of God. We bring food to kids at Wildwood without expecting anything in return, no matter who they are. We go and serve food at Reach Out without expecting anything in return, no matter who they are. We cast a wide net as we share and as we serve. And in the end, we are not the ones who do the sorting, right? But we are among those are called to cast the net. And so I ask, who are the people in your life that need to hear this good news of the kingdom? How can we continue to be a community that lives this kingdom of God together? May God restore us, and may we bring that restoration into the world through our lives every day. So what is this parable all about? Well, I think it is a warning for the teeth gnashers. It's a warning for those who rage against God that those ways will be brought to an end. But for all who follow Christ, it is a promise that God will bring restoration to all things. And it is an invitation to join him in that work of restoration. And the work is not in vain. For the scriptures give us a sneak peek of what to expect, right? Just as they began with the heavens and the earth overlapping and interlocking with one another and God present with his people, so the scriptures end with a new heaven and a new earth and the home of God among the people. Death and hell have been defeated, and behold, he is making all things new. Amen.